This is HiFam. I'm Avital. Let's talk about the way our culture is creating a family last culture and what you can do to put your family first. So firstly, let's discuss what do I mean by family last culture? There are many ways that we can actually identify the fact that we're living in a culture that does not value family, that puts family last on our list of priorities. And we see this in the population trends across Western countries that, you know, it's kind of a broadly sweeping trend that we can see in many different countries and of course to varying degrees. But this trend in general is a trend that's putting family to the bottom of young people's priority list. So we see in my own generation and the generations after me that people are opting out of marriage at higher and higher rates. So we're having fewer and fewer marriages, which was always considered a kind of that traditional backbone or foundation to a family life. We see that people who are getting married are getting married at later and later ages. And that if they're choosing to have children, which is not obvious at all anymore, um, they're choosing to have them also at later and later ages. And they are having fewer and fewer children. So in all Western countries, we're actually seeing a declining birth rate. And this brings with it all sorts of crises within itself. Um, But we're also seeing uh, that family on the whole, as a lifestyle, a family life, is a lifestyle that people are opting out of in favor of alternatives, which we're going to cover really soon. So really, really interesting to see this massive shift at the population level. I think the country I live in, Israel, is maybe the only Western country that's actually above replenishment rate, where children, where people are having children um, at higher rates and the population is growing. Um, now, I'm not here to make commentary on, on, you know, on the pros and cons of population growth. I think it's generally speaking, a, a, a something that we need and need to discuss. Um, but I do want to talk about the effects of living in a family last culture and how you and I here in HiFam can make some different choices. So what do I mean when I say a family last culture? Well, if you look around and you think of at the type of trends that have increased, at the type of lifestyles that we're seeing people op- opt into more and more in recent decades, we see how these can slip family to the absolute dead last of our priority list. So the first thing is our work culture, right? Modern work culture often demands long hours and high commitment, which can lead to neglecting family needs. Of course it does, right? Our attention is simply elsewhere. And the concept of this overwork, of workaholism, of hustle culture, um, can sometimes prize work achievements above all else, which obviously limits our time spent with our family and also limits the way we see family success. You know, we don't see that as a big achievement, that as something that we want to put our time and effort towards, that as something prestigious, right? We literally have this effect of people dying of overworking, especially in Japan. This is a a well-known phenomenon um, where work becomes your entire identity and everything that you're about. And this has been the biggest shift for women, right? For women who used to be in most Western cultures, uh, perceiving themselves as primarily homemakers, as caregivers, um, as mothers. Um, Today, we see that uh, young people, young women are identifying themselves first and foremost in terms of their career and their job. What work can they do? And that becomes the primary source of meaning and significance and identity in their life uh, versus what perhaps used to be primary. Uh, Even if women did have a career or did have a job, it was 
considered in many cases secondary to their role as a mother, even by themselves, not just as, uh, you know, not just by society. This, of course, has its pros and cons, but it's really interesting to notice this shift and how many uh, stay-at-home moms that I know, many of my students who are full-time parents, um, struggle with this because they struggle with the idea that there's a societal expectation that your self-worth and your value comes from the work that you do on an external level. I mean, even if you're just working for the man, even if you're just stocking shelves, even if you're just quote unquote, right, uh, working in the widget factory, the idea that you're working and getting paid a paycheck is uh, deemed in in many ways, and by many of us, we've kind of internalized this message as more valuable than the unpaid work that you do as a parent. And, and that positions any kind of work, career, job as higher status than any kind of work that we do towards our family goals. So it's really interesting uh, how that internalizes and, and how that manifests in our personal life. Of course, we also have shifted into a culture of consumerism, right? A culture that is heavily influenced by materialism, a culture that prizes the acquisition of goods and services over relationships. It takes away from family culture, from quality time, and towards material possessions. And many of us receive our dopamine hits, our sense of joy, satisfaction, meaning, of identity, of importance, of status even of connection with others through the brands that we support, through the logos that we get to wear or flash, um, through the products that we have and own. Now, I like, you know, creature comforts as much as the next person. Uh, I think having, you know, financial goals is a good idea. I think living a really comfortable and uh, lovely life is is nothing to be ashamed of. I don't think money is bad. I think uh, consuming what you need to consume in order to live a beautiful life is, is great, etc. Um, but what we do need to be mindful of here in that family last mindset is that often it puts stuff above people ha as though having stuff is somehow going to be more significant than having time together, than having meaningful relationships. And I think, you know, acquiring stuff may sometimes be a good idea or a, or a reasonable pursuit, um, but it shouldn't ever replace uh, the meaning and the true um, belonging and satisfaction that we get through our connection with our closest people. And that is what's happening for many people. You'll see with many young teenagers, many young people, they'll see their things like their phone or their, you know, Air Jordans as the thing that they uh, prize, their prized possessions, um, and that they prize them over, um, over relationships. We also see the huge rise in individualism, and this might be kind of the pinnacle of the family last uh, culture. Look, I believe in individualism. I believe people should be judged as individuals. I don't like identity politics. I don't like group identities as being our primary identity. I don't think it's a good idea. I think people are all individuals. We are all unique. We are all different. Uh, we are incomparable and um Really, individualism can promote personal growth, self-reliance, uh, radical responsibility. These are all qualities that I am on board with, right? I like the idea of ownership and authorship and agency and each human being um, being judged as an individual, not as a member of whatever group they happen to be a part of. But the overemphasis that we experience in today's culture on individual success and achievement uh, can really lead to the neglect of familial and communal responsibilities to the extent that we actually only see each person as an individual and not as part of something larger than themselves. 
And the truth is that this focus on individualism can become toxic, just like anything taken to an extreme. So I believe the focus on group identities and, you know, that communist type of communalism um, can be, you know, deadly and horrific. Um, but taken to the other extreme, the over the overemphasis on individualism, I think what we're seeing now is that it results in this kind of mental health crisis. The depression, the anxiety, uh, the rise in narcissism, uh, those are all kind of symptoms of an overemphasis on self, right? Self-love, self-acceptance, self-celebration, self-exploration, self-reflection. That navel-gazing, that fascination with me, with mine, it can actually lead, unsurprisingly, to selfishness. Um, and to isolation because it's only you and there's no one else important and there's no one else you're invested in and, and you don't know how to give or to compromise um, or to be in meaningful relationships with other people that are satisfying for them as well. And that leads uh, to this neglect of other, but also ultimately uh, to depression and anxiety. Because of course, if you're the only thing that matters, if you're the only focus, if your identity and yourself and your expression and your achievements are uh, you know, paramount and are willing to trample others or come at the expense of others, or you simply can't look up from yourself long enough to actually see others, then you're missing a massive chunk of what makes human beings happy and healthy. And that is a sense of belonging and connection. That is the ability to give to others. That is the, the ability to need others and to have others who need you, the interdependence that really healthy uh, dependence that we have as human beings. So that's a totally family last type of approach because how can a family possibly survive when it's just a series of individuals that are all in it for themselves? Hey, we'll be right back to the show, but real quick, I need to ask you, do you want to know how I kept my day job, started a side hustle and built my business from scratch while birthing, feeding, raising and schooling my five children at home? Well, there are many things that go into it, but the key that made the most difference by far is that my children play independently for hours at a time. No, they are not unicorn children. There's nothing special about them, although they are special to me. All children are designed to play independently for hours a day. Yeah, even yours. But in our culture, play has been stolen, which is tragic because play is so good for kids and also such a breather for us adults. If your child is clinging, reliant on screens or on you for entertainment, you need to check out my new free masterclass, how to transform your home into a play-inducing haven. In it, I will break down how to get your child playing independently with the play zones that every child needs. Go to reclaimplay.com forward slash haven. Okay, back to the show. Because that's very similar to a basketball team or any sports team that are all about the individuals. It's like a coach saying to each of their players, okay, it's all about you. Just be in it to win it for yourself. Uh, just make the moves that are going to make you a star. Don't worry about the team effort. Don't worry about working together, collaboration, cooperation, contribution. Um, don't elevate what we can do as a group above what we can do as individuals, but rather focus on yourself. And that obviously is a losing, you know, strategy in life and a losing strategy for mental health because you know, we're all just people. We're all just humans and we all have flaws and we need others and we need, uh, Sometimes we need to lean on others. Sometimes we need the support of others. Uh, sometimes we need to feel 
the meaning that we have by contributing to others, by keeping others safe, by providing for them, by caring for them, by loving them. The next thing that is a very fam last type of approach is what happens with the digital age and social media, which really fragments us, right? There is many ways that technologies bring many benefits. Um, It's the way I'm coming to you right now, and that's wonderful. But overuse of digital devices and social media really disrupts personal interactions and the quality time that we spend with our family. And the culture of constant connectivity often leads to a sense of disconnection within the family unit. I know I'm not the only one who's been in a situation where I think I'm having this amazing quality time with my family. And then suddenly I noticed that I'm looking at my phone, that I'm scrolling, that I'm in some app I didn't even mean to be in. And that sense of constant distraction, it, you know, it ties back to that workaholism and being online and the availability. Uh, That is something that really disrupts our family cohesion and puts our families last behind our devices, behind our social media, behind anyone who happens to call us or anything that happens to ping us when we're with our family. And there are other things like mobility, right? Social mobility and the opportunities for work and study uh, that often require people to move away from their family home and sometimes to different cities or even countries. This was the case for me and my husband and many other members of our family. We became this kind of global family with everybody pursuing their individual dreams and careers and interests and agendas in different corners of the earth, which of course is going to fragment the family. It makes it incredibly difficult um, to maintain relationships. The physical distance can sometimes lead to emotional distance as well. And that's incredibly uh, prevalent in today's culture uh, as it becomes increasingly easy and, uh, you know, just common for intergenerationality to be disrupted, people moving away from grandparents, from cousins, etc. And, you know, my husband and I did this. We've also reversed it in a sense, right? We moved away for a time and we've moved back uh, to be in the fold of family because I want to live a family first life, which is something that I'm going to outline in just a minute. But let's just finish here with another few things that are fragmenting our family. So there's been a lot of changes uh, to social and family structures, some of them positive, some of them negative, but there's basically a rise in diverse family structures, single parent families, blended families, even families where both parents work are essentially a new phenomenon in a sense, right? I mean, both parents always worked on the homestead, so did the children. Uh, But then in the industrial era, there was this kind of fractioning out where Typically, the men would go out to work and the women would be the homemakers. And that was, you know, that typical also all the way through to the 50s, in a sense. Um, obviously, these are gross generalizations and not true for every home, but that that was the trend. But what happens as we evolve and shift, you know, even if there are some benefits, and I celebrate every family and every walk of life, um, that, you know, every type of family that that may be, whatever your family looks like, is beautiful and amazing. Um, And we're here to support every type of family. But it's obvious that this is going to lead to fragmentation. It's going to lead to a weakening of support systems, which which were built on traditional structures, right? We um, kind of figured out the traditional family unit and the traditional family lifestyle. And now we have to reconfigure everything about how we keep families strong uh, when they look so different, when their lifestyle is so different. Um, when a lot of the things that we used to be able to rely on are not necessarily there for a lot of families. 
And then there's the constant busyness, right? In many societies, being busy is often equated with being important or successful, right? This constant state of busyness that can lead to less time dedicated to family. And often it's not actual productivity, right? There's a differentiation between being productive and being busy. For many of us, our jobs require putting in hours that actually kind of make us have to like, you know, make noises that we're working and busy, but not necessarily being busy. Uh, we often um, actually kind of idolize and you know, see as virtuous the person who is busy, the person who is run off their feet. And we almost see ourselves as worthy the busier we are, uh, as though having time, um, having our Sundays, having our weekends, having our afternoons, our evenings, um, really dedicated to slowing down and being in connection is no longer something that we value. We value the idea that I don't have time. We value the idea that I'm too busy for things. In some kind of almost twisted, kind of perverse, subconscious way, we see as virtuous the person who doesn't have time for those basic things. And that might come alongside as a side effect of the culture of instant gratification a culture that increasingly focuses on immediate satisfaction, which can discourage the patience and the long-term commitment uh, that is necessary for strong family relationships. That busyness, that rush, that hustle, the workaholism, the uh, screen addictions, all of these kind of come together to form this kind of, uh, you know, dangerous cycle um, where we are moving away from strong family relationships. And that's what's happening really in this family last culture that many of us are living in. Where really, in a sense, it used to be a compliment to say that someone's, let's say, a family man. And today, when you listen, as I often do, to what young people are saying uh, in podcasts, on social media, in TikTok in particular, you see a disdain for being a family person. You see a disdain for their own families of origin, uh, a disloyalty, a disinterest, uh, uh, a rush and an eagerness to move away, to uh, separate, um, to even estrange themselves in many cases from their families of origin. And you see zero interest. And in fact, uh, a kind of, uh, you know, viewing it as pathetic to want a family, to want children, to want marriage, that that is some form of slavery, that that is some form of bondage, that that is something uh, that is the opposite of freedom and fun and liberty, that it is not in their individual interest, not in their personal interest, not in their best interest uh, to go down that path. So because I'm seeing those trends, I want to talk about uh, the lifestyle that in a sense I'm, you know, maybe in one way or another, advocating for, not that I, you know, not that I think everybody needs to follow this, but seeing as you're here, um, my my guess is that you have children or a child and you have a family and you're leading a family and you're a parent. And one of the things that I have come to realize and come to kind of formulate in my mind is the mantra or the motto or the philosophy or the mission that undergirds the work that I'm doing in HiFam. That is the basis of the high fam philosophy. And I've come to see it in a sense, a little bit like a lifestyle, a little bit like a series of choices that you make that lead you to a way of life. And, uh, you know, everybody's free to make or not make those choices. There are many different valid lifestyles. There are many different ways to pursue health and happiness and meaning in your life. But this is the particular lifestyle that um, I have chosen for myself and my husband has chosen for himself and that we are um, prioritizing in our family. And for those of you who are perhaps kind of siding along that path, I want to propose uh, 
a very simple framework, a very simple uh, philosophy, which is the high fam philosophy. And really, I could sum it up in just two words. And those two words are family first. It's the idea that there's a lifestyle here. There's a lifestyle choice. You know, there are lots of different valid lifestyle choices out there. But the family first philosophy entails prioritizing your family and its needs before anything else. So it means valuing the connections, the relationships, the growth of your family unit more than other aspects of life, such as work, personal ambition, or social status. And there are some practical things, some practical practices that family first, you know, parents are going to put in to practice. And those are exactly the types of things that I teach inside my membership, the studio, and exactly the types of practices that I advocate for or that I share, um, not really in an evangelistic advocacy because I'm not looking to recruit people, but those people who have chosen this path, this lifestyle, I think it behooves us to find a kind of a, a system, a way of prioritizing, a way of understanding the lifestyle that we've chosen. And in lieu of a religious framework, which is often not enough uh, to hold this together, right? Like those of you listening, some of you might be religious, some of you might not be, or you might have a loose or complicated relationship with religion. You know, at one point or another, and in many religions still today, it was simply the religious decree that one should have a family, that this was, you know, God's will, that, um, you know, men and women should procreate and form these families. And that was the way of the of the Lord, in a sense, um, that was enough to kind of drive us and hold us in this lifestyle. And it may still be that way for you today. However, because our broader culture is poking holes in that, because the broader culture seems to be putting stumbling rocks before us in that pathway, because we are seeing our choices and our lifestyle as almost ridiculed, uh, they're often seen as anti-feminist, as, uh, as I say, as slavery, as a form of giving up your freedom, as a form of being a sucker. Like, oh, you have a family, you're a sucker. You, uh, you know, good for you. Now you're not going to have, uh, you know, a sex life. You're going to have sleepless nights. Your bank account is going to uh, drain. Uh, what a stupid idea. Why would you give up your life for a toddler? Why would you give up your body for this baby? Why would you commit to this family? Why would you give up your freedom to this one person, this person you're marrying? Um, you know, what a stupid idea, right? That's often what we're drinking in the water in our mainstream culture, those ideas. And so, you know, I'm here in a way just waving the flag of family first lifestyle as being an incredibly fulfilling lifestyle. It's not for everyone, granted, um, but it's beautiful because when you do step into it fully, when you embrace it, when you wear it kind of with a sense of contentment, with a sense of commitment and consistency and and um, joy and gratitude for this path, I think you find within this lifestyle so much meaning. That's why I like to say that meaning begins at home. I think there is so much meaning to be found. I also think there's kind of everything you could want in a fam-first lifestyle. Uh, a family-first lifestyle provides uh, a structure. It provides uh, a route to meaning. It provides a route to virtue. Like there are clear ways of being good at, as a family person. Um, and that's something we all actually need. We all actually need some kind of moral code and compass. Uh, again, we might get it from religion, but we might not, in which case we need some way of evaluating if what we're spending our time on, if 
the sacrifices we're making are good sacrifices, if the efforts that we're putting forth are worthwhile, if we're being, you know, quote unquote, good people. Uh, that's something that all of us want to know about ourselves, that we are living a good life, um, that we're making healthy choices, choices that make sense, choices that contribute to the world. Um, and I think that that family first lifestyle really could offer that us. It could be a pathway for that. So there are certain things that we're going to do. We're just simply going to do when you think through the framework of family first. You know, one of the obvious things is spending quality time together as a family, right? This is essential. And it includes eating meals together, playing games together, going for walks, hikes, doing sport together, uh, sitting and talking, having meaningful conversations, um, bonding behaviors, touching each other, making eye contact, right? That built a connection. Um, these moments strengthen the bonds between family members and provide opportunities um, for us to really deepen our love, our commitment, our sense of belonging. And if we are living a family last lifestyle, then our time is going to be uh, kind of sucked down, vacuumed up by everything else first. And when you put your family first, then your family is on your calendar. Your family is on your schedule. There's no such thing as your family not being a priority that is reflected in the way that you spend your most precious resource of all, which is your time. So if I'm working a full-time job, then I'm dedicating the rest of my time pretty much to my family and to keeping myself healthy and, and that type of thing, right? Families who put their family first have regular communication. They work on their communication skills. They have open communication. They trust each other. They tell each other the truth. Um, they have authentic and transparent relationships, which are key to any strong relationship, right? They discuss feelings. They discuss thoughts, challenges, achievements, values, um, what's going on in our day-to-day -day life. We're in touch, right? That active listening, that looking into each other's eyes, that actually giving each other the time of day, right? Like a family first family is a family who listens to each other, shows respect to each other, um, sees each other as worthwhile investments of our time and energy, and really values each other's perspective, uh, honoring the individuals, of course, uh, but understanding that, yeah, I want to get to know these people on a deep, lifelong basis. And so I'm going to continuously listen and take interest in their lives. Putting your family first means shared responsibilities, right? Sharing responsibilities among family members so that everybody makes contributions, right? Households need to be run. Families are like businesses. You might be the co-founder, but there's a team. Your children are the team, right? And and anything from household chores to decision-making, just helping out on an ongoing basis, everybody needs to be a contributor. And when you put your family first, what that means is you won't be in martyr mindset where you're the slave doing everything, the unpaid maid, you know, doing everything and bending over backwards and breaking your back for your family, but rather that you're building this joint culture um, where you build something meaningful together. And there's going to be a lot of love in a fam first family, right? Because family becomes your priority, you really start to free up space in your heart and express love frequently, right? Uh, children growing up in this type of family know that they're loved and appreciated. Yes, they make mistakes. Yes, they have shortcomings. Yes, they have a lot to learn. Um, but there's encouragement. Uh, we're there for each other in times of need, in times of celebration. Um, we show interest in each other's activities and hobbies and achievements and support uh, in each other's pursuits or hobbies or life-changing decisions, right? It's the sense that these are my people, that I have people. Now, if you didn't grow up in a fan-first family, you may never have had that sense of belonging. Like there's someone here who has my back. There's someone here who is family, right? It's that 
kind of phrase where blood is thicker than water comes from. And I don't necessarily mean that your family has to be biologically related to you, but the idea of family is the idea of through thick and thin. It's the idea of having people that are your people, that you need, that you belong to. Um, in our individualistic society, we're so allergic to the idea of belonging to someone, of someone needing us, um, of us needing anyone else. But that is counterproductive to family-first thinking. Family-first thinking creates a need, an interdependence, a bond, a deep sense of belonging, a deep sense that, yeah, no, 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 we do belong together. You do belong to me. Your choices do affect me. My choices do affect you. Uh, I do need to take you as part of my agenda and you need to take me as part of your agenda because we are interconnected, because we're intertwining our lives together. We're kind of weaving our souls together. And no, you don't get to just see yourself as an individual. Sure, you're an individual as well, but you're also part of a family. And that family is an organism in and of itself um, that demands something of us as individuals, right? We owe it something. Uh, we actually have a, uh, a, a, a sort of duty, right, towards the family, which again, very unpopular kind of terms in today's day and age. The idea of obligation, the idea of duty, the idea of loyalty, all of these are kind of, you know, unfashionable ideas. They've fallen out of favor. But those are exactly the types of qualities and values that are absolutely integral and necessary for a family-first family. And again, I think something more palatable to our modern-day brains is thinking of a team like a sports team or like an entrepreneurial team that are you know, building a startup I mean, of course, you're going to need to be uh, there for each other, right? Of course, you need skin in the game. You need to be invested. You need to show up for each other. We don't see that as an infringement on our individual liberties. We don't see that as off-putting or, you know, unfair or something along those lines. We see it as, yeah, that's what it takes to make it in the world. Well, that's what it takes to make a strong family as well. And to that end, we need to balance our work and life, right? We need to make sure that work doesn't consume all of our time and energy and have some clear boundaries between work and family time. Um, I have always worked, so has my husband, but we prioritize family events over work when necessary. I prioritize my weekend time that is tech-free, um, that is pure quality family time. I prioritize evenings and bedtimes. Um, there are many ways of, of hitting that balance. And if you want more mindset hacks for working parents, then I've just released a new video on YouTube uh, that you might like about that. Family first families actually craft their family culture deliberately. So they actually think intentionally about it. And if you think about this again, through the lens of entrepreneurship, if you build a startup or if you run a mega, you know, uh, Fortune 100 company, it doesn't matter. Think about the companies that you uh, envision, their headquarters, their their offices. They build a culture. They put out memos. They put out guidelines. They have stand-up meetings. Um, they purposefully hire and fire in congruence with their culture. They create events, traditions, um, brands, logos, slogans, mottos. Uh, all of the things that go into creating a culture is something that we completely take for granted that businesses should do. Businesses should be clear on their brand. They should be clear on their mission statement, on their goals, on their financial goals, on their social goals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet with families, we have zero framework and zero training on creating a family culture. Uh, by the way, this is the exact type of training and framework that I provide inside the studio membership because we are leaders. We are co-founders. We have created an organization and that is our family. 
And our family needs that type of deliberate culture crafting uh, as much, if not more, than any business does. I mean, every single business, a restaurant, a pet grooming business, a tech company, they think about what type of culture they want in between their employees, in between themselves and their customers, what kind of face they're putting out to the world, what kind of internal communication they have, um, what kind of values they are working with. And families need that too. We need to cultivate traditions that will be cherished and remembered. We need to craft meaningful memories. We need to create an environment where we're living our values, where we're living our vision, right? Um, There are lots of simple ways of doing this. Family movie nights, yearly trips, uh, special ways to celebrate birthdays, uh, family feast night every week, etc. But we need to create a sense of unity, of belonging, and a culture that reflects the values that we'd like to impart to the next generation. Right. Um, and, and we need to teach them that. Right. We need to emphasize the importance of learning within a family where we're actually here to teach our children and to craft and to direct and to lead our family uh, in you know, with wisdom, with life lessons, uh, with a moral compass, with a roadmap, with a game plan. How are they going to reach financial health? How are they going to reach relationship health? How are they going to reach physical and mental health? Um, How can we help them to grow? How can we support each other? How can we hold high expectations and offer high support? So there are many other things that go into crafting a family first family. Of course, we need to respect each other. Of course, we need forgiveness. We need um, communication skills and plans for conflict resolution, right? We need to set clear boundaries. Uh, We need to really share our responsibilities and show love and affection and, and run a good system. We need to run a good home. We need to run a home that is that kind of flagship. That's the headquarters. Uh, that's the place where all the magic happens. And Being a fan-first family does not mean that we neglect personal needs. I am not suggesting that you should, you know, sacrifice yourself or your self-care more correctly. Um, You know, family is important and that's why you need to be at your best. You need to take care of your own needs. Uh, You need to maintain your mental, emotional and physical health. So don't for a second think that I'm saying put your family above Uh, your individual needs for health and wellness, right? Now, to that end, there are many things that families who put fam first uh, don't do. For example, they don't overschedule, right? Um, Avoid filling your family's schedule with too many activities or commitments. Uh, You've got to leave room for relaxation, for spontaneous fun, for relaxed connection, a lot of time together as much as possible. Um, And many of the, 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 you know, the, the people who are stuck in a family last culture are actually overscheduling. So it appears, it's kind of a trick of the eye because it appears like a fam first thing to do. Like, oh, I'll take my kids to all these classes and I'll fill their lives um, with interesting things. But those things, whilst I love some extracurricular activities, I love some classes, you know, that's all great. When taken to an extreme that actually bleeds out the energy from the family and drains the family doesn't give us enough time to practice our rituals, our traditions, our connection, our communication skills, the relationships themselves. The relationships themselves are an activity in and of themselves. And they and they are, you know, your time together, baking together, reading together, organizing the house together, clearing out the garage together, doing homework together. Uh, that's the way we actually practice a fam first uh, lifestyle. So the goal of the family first lifestyle is to foster a loving, supportive and cohesive family unit. It's not about perfection. It's about creating an environment where every family member feels valued and cared for and a sense of belonging. And 
I think that this lifestyle, at least for me personally and for my students in the HiFam membership, this lifestyle offers everything you could want in terms of adventure, in terms of personal growth, in terms of meaning and uh, pursuit of happiness and health. It offers a framework through which to live a life that is really significant to us, right? That we can feel at peace with, that we can feel like we're spending ourselves on something worthwhile. Because to be honest, raising the next generation is potentially the most crucial contributing thing a human being can do, uh, or most of us have the option to do, right? Most of us aren't, you know, curing cancer or, um, you know, fixing the Middle East. Uh, We're not doing these massive things that are going to change humanity, but raising a family that has strong, healthy bonds that raises individuals who go out in the world and feel uh, healthy and productive and capable and helpful and useful and um, you know, who have strong mental health and a strong sense of contribution, um, perhaps that's more than any of us can hope for, right? Perhaps that's that's the pinnacle of um, satisfaction and of meaning and of fulfillment. Like, I don't know, for me at least, that's enough of a challenge, right? Like challenge accepted. That sounds really, really hard enough to do that well. And maybe even harder than some other uh, challenges that we might accept or that we might embark on. I also think it's really fun Raising kids can be really fun. And we like to talk a good game about how hard it is and how painful it is and how stressful it is and how challenging it is. And all of that is true. I'm not taking that away from anybody. I certainly feel all of that as well. But I also feel so much joy and connection and pleasure and beauty and sweetness and fun and hilarious times. And there's something that keeps us young and keeps us fresh and vibrant and emotionally alive, right? Like the love that you feel, the highs that you can hit uh, through raising children, through building a strong lifelong marriage, uh, through creating creating a cohesive and meaningful family um, value system and culture. You know, it holds so much meaning and and it can be really, really pleasurable and and enjoyable and fun. Uh, And that's something that I think doesn't get spoken about enough, right? That this lifestyle isn't just about sacrifice. Sure, there's a lot of sacrifice, um, but it's also about joy and pleasure and a deep sense of meaning and connection and love um, that I think is unaccessible in other parts, right? Or really hard to, to recreate the level of love that you can experience when you're needing a fam first life, the overflowing of that love, right? And it sounds so kitschy to say it, like I'm so cheesy right now, but really, you know, I'm sure you listening to this, if you're raising children, if you're needing this fam first life, you experience uh, the highs, the oxytocin high, the rush, the dizzying sensation of feeling fully and totally connected deeply bonded and uh, this enveloping love that knows no parallels. And that's that's an advertisement, if ever there was one, for leading a fam-first life. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, use it to start a conversation. Use it to make sense of the decisions that you need to make in your life. Are you making them from a fam-first approach? Is that a helpful framework for you? Why? Why not? I'd love to hear and I'd love for you to go out and have these conversations with your spouse, with your children, with your friends and family, and share this with someone who you might think will find it helpful. The best way to support me and this show is to leave 
a review. I'd love to hear what you love about the show and I think it will help other people find it, especially if they're struggling and finding family life to be stressful, um, you know, to be a scream family life rather than a dream family life. That's all from me and I'll see you in the next episode.